When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey folks, before we dive into the episode, I would like to let you know about our sponsor, which is Arrow Video. They release uh, really interesting titles with amazing transfers and uh, extras that, in my opinion, rival a lot of Criterion's best releases. Um, They have some of their recent releases here that you might want to check out. There's uh, Henri-Georges Clouseau's Inferno, which is a kind of half documentary half recreation of uh this lost project uh of the from the great director uh, who of course directed diabolique and the, the wages of fear there's a um a film called pulp with michael kane from the director of uh get carter and it looks like kind of a tongue-in-cheek um gangster mystery story that looks like fun and we have uh, the Witches, which is an, a 60s anthology, Italian anthology film uh, with films about these short films about women directed by some of the best filmmakers of the time, like Lucino Visconti, Pier Paolo Pasolini and uh, Vittoria De Sica. So um, check out those releases and uh, more at arrowvideo.com. And now on with the show. Over the line! Hello and welcome to another episode of Over Under Movies, the podcast in where we choose one overrated and one underrated movie, similar in tone, genre, style, or however we may say f- see fit, and we discuss them. I'm Ryan Oliver. I am Oktay Kozak. Uh And this week we're actually not going to have uh, any overrated picks. Uh, these are Octay's picks that uh, was plugged on the previous episode. Uh, we have three, um, three underrated best picture winners um it is oscar season about a week ago actually i think exactly a week ago from the time we're recording now the the oscar nominations for this year were announced so um everyone's talking award season it's kind of on the tip of everybody's tongue so um i think we figured it was a good time to uh bust these picks out but um i won't belabor the point any longer um we're gonna start with the first pick um which is a good place to start first because it is in fact the very first best picture winner um which is fw murnau's uh sunrise or sunrise a song of two humans i believe is the original title of the film and um octay why did you choose this as as an underrated film well first off let me clarify that this is a bit of a controversial pick because i kind of accept sunrise as the first official best picture winner even though if you look up anywhere it's gonna say that um a lot of the uh the oscar historians and a lot of people will say it's uh wings is the first best picture winner uh what happened was uh the first the first ever academy awards there were uh 
two categories for best picture. There was best production and there was best unique and artistic picture. And uh, Wings won best production, Sunrise won best unique and artistic picture. And then after that year, I think they completely discontinued that. So this is the only year where this kind of um, controversy exists. And I think Sunrise clearly deserves the... um, to be known as the very first best picture winner because the award was given for its artistic merits. And I think their thinking back then uh, when they did the first ceremony was that the best production would go to the film that would have the most kind of technical prowess, which I think Sunrise has some amazing um uh, technical ingenuity that we can get into. Uh, but regardless, I mean, a film about like planes and flying and dogfights and stuff, of course, it's going to, you know, kind of dazzle everyone. Uh, it's a film that I still haven't really watched and I don't really have much of an, you know, I don't really know a lot of people who've ever really sat through wings. Um, it's just basically known as a run of the mill melodrama with some pretty cool for its time, like flying sequences. Um, so as far as like the ideal of best picture, like it's, it's the best kind of, yes, it has technical prowess, but it's the best kind of overall film in terms of like the artistic and storytelling and unique is an interesting way of saying like the best unique and artistic picture. I think Sunrise definitely fits the bill. So when I was thinking of like, you know, hey, let's talk about um, three underrated best picture winners. I immediately thought of Sunrise to kind of clear the air about that, number one, and also to kind of remind people how much of a how much of a masterpiece this film really is. I mean, it's basically it's it's a melodrama that is stripped to the basest confines of its genre. And that simplicity is just what makes it so special and beautiful. In my opinion, it's a story of like the characters in it are only known as the man, the woman. And uh, there's an antagonist called the woman from the city. Uh, This is one of the charming things about this film is it's um, it's kind of really strict views, like negative views of like city life as opposed to uh, rural rural life. Um, You know, city life is kind of seen as like. kind of like this corrupting force. Um, but yeah, the, the story is, the, the simplicity of the story is, just, is what makes it so interesting to me. It's basically about a man who whose marriage is kind of becoming a little bit boring and this woman, you know, this salacious quote-unquote woman from the city comes in and strikes up a, uh, an affair with him and tries to convince him to kill his wife so that they could sell the farm and move to the city and the man is convinced he tries to kill his wife. He doesn't succeed. And miraculously, through this, like, the aftermath of that, miraculously turns into this, like, rekindling of the romance between the man and the, the woman, the, the married couple. And the rest of the film kind of is almost like the uh, the very, very first version of, like, Before Sunrise or something. <laughs> where they like go through like different parts of the city and rekindle their relationship. And this, this, this rekindling, this, this very kind of delicate story is told, 
you know, it's a silent film. It's told without any dialogue. And there are very little amounts of uh, inner titles, which F.W. Murnau, the director, was not very fond of inner titles. He made a film called The Last Laugh that pretty much doesn't have any of them. There's like one or two. Um, and he manages to tell this this really kind of deep, intimate story through just reactions and visual storytelling and um, uses a lot of like very innovative techniques of the time, um, like superimposing separate images to create this kind of like poetic image about what the 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 inside mind of the man, what he's going through, what the woman is going through. And he communicates these issues with these techniques really well and has some of like the most beautiful kind of expressionists uh, going back to German, German expressionism, expressionist like um, model work that kind of almost rivals the work in like Metropolis. So there's a lot of like really interesting stuff to latch onto here, especially for fans of... Um, silent film history so that's why i picked it but um so ryan is this had you seen sunrise before and um like what are your overall thoughts about it i hadn't no um even though i talked to some friends who <clears throat> had watched it uh a lot of friends who who also went to film school like this was kind of like a staple for film history classes to watch in terms of the um, silent era. Uh, I was unfortunate and had to watch uh, D.W. Griffith's Broken Blossoms, which is a whole other, whole another can of worms that I'm not going to open. But um, that was talk the first... about shitty melodrama instead. It was one of the first and only times I've fallen asleep in a class, and I was willing to do so. Um, and I stand by that. But Sunrise <laughs> no going to blame you for. <laughs> but Sunrise, on the other hand, um, yeah, this movie, I simplicity, yes, and also uh, a sort of like blending of tones and different kinds of movies i think was like really really impressed me with this because there's you see so many contemporary movies that try to have elements of different genres like they try to be like this movie has elements of like it's got melodrama it's got elements of a thriller it's got elements of comedy um and all of it works so seamlessly in this movie and you I, i've seen plenty of other movies trip and fall on, on their own ambition to do so and it's just the the pure simplicity of the story i think helps that and the sort of power of the performances like to be honest i know it's a silent movie and i know there's you know a lot more projecting in the acting than you know there might be in in like a contemporary times but like i think the performances of this movie are pretty awesome as well um and the other thing that really impressed me like i you know i don't want to give it too much away for those who haven't seen the movie but i thought the entire third act of the movie uh like how that like really ratchets up the the drama and the tension and what they were able to do with the camera at that time um, and where they were able to place it, um, especially um, a scene at night that involves a, a, a search crew in, in boats. Um, and, and I'll leave it at that. But um, that it, it really impressed me. So, um, you know, I, I know, you know, I don't want to throw around the term lightly, but I think, you know, you said masterpiece and, and it would be pretty difficult to disagree uh, on that. And, and it makes me want to go 
watch more of fw murnau's movie because other than that the only one i've ever i've seen outside of this one is nosferatu which is probably the one most people have seen yeah and um i would definitely recommend the last laugh in terms of like it's linked to sunrise is the the way in which he uses these like kind of german expressionist staple uh kind of camera tricks and miniature work that was mainly used for like science fiction back then or kind of like horror or um stuff that had like you know supernatural or science fiction elements in it you know you have your nosferatu you have you know cabinet of dr caligari and uh, metropolis for sure and uh it's interesting in the way that he uses these techniques to um create melodrama uh the last laugh is also one of those films where he gets into the mind of this um kind of elderly hotel doorman whose entire existence is predicated on him holding on to this position and he's about to lose that position and how ashamed and humiliated he's going to become and he really like he really manages to communicate without almost any inner titles of how important this job is to him and how um how devast how like his status matters so much more to him and he just does it in ways of you know he has this there's this famous shot that you might even see used in like a bunch of montages of of silent cinema where um it's like a bunch of different faces superimposed just laughing at the camera basically uh, laughing at the man so he puts you inside the the mindscape of the the main character and he does similar stuff with um with sunrise and he uses very kind of um really kind of subtle ways of communicating exposition in a medium back then where you had to be very broad right because yes. it's all, all you have is the the visual like for example, this one part that like this one little detail that I really like is that um you know the the man and the wife have kind of rekindled their uh their love for each other and they go out to have a good time in the city and there's this one moment where you know throughout the film you get the point that um the man is kind of sick of the the country life he has this kind of like he doesn't like being associated with being a peasant or being a country boy. He wants to, like, he looks up to the city life a little bit. And there's this one moment where Myrna just very quickly shows a close-up of a sheet of music that says, you know, the peasant dance on it. And then uh, the wife just wants to do this dance, and the man just refuses to do so because he thinks that, like, you know, all these city folk are, like, surrounding them, like, watching them. Be like, hey, let's watch these peasants dance, kind of thing. And um, he's uncomfortable, and then he's he's gradually kind of like pulled into it and starts realizing that like, oh, this is one. This is all kind of where, where I belong. And two, like, he's in love with his wife, and he's like kind of accepting that relationship. And so it's it's like this very like subtle arc that goes through in a silent medium that it's very hard to pull off any kind of subtle movements. Oh, absolutely. That's, that was another thing that I like really, really took to this movie. Um, were, were moments like that and moments that like, 
um, the again because the emotions have to be broad, but they were effective. Like, um, it was strange, especially like how the movie was able to kind of kind of turn the tide as quick as it did. I mean, for example, after this this uh, failed attempt at at murder, you know, there's a, a whole whole sequence of of re- resentment. And then there's a scene where they go into a church and he's watching, they go and they see uh, a wedding occurring. Um, Mm -hmm. And he, uh, you know, he just immediately, uh, you know, they, they, they leave and he just, he breaks down and breaks down in tears. And is just like, you know, you know, forgive me for what I've done. Like, it's it's a terrible thing that I did. Like, you know, can, can you forgive me? And, and it just almost like destroyed me (laughs) in that moment. Mm -hmm. Like, especially like, it's so weird after watching something you, you think is like pretty like unspeakable and how the movie was able to like quickly get you into a character's corner. Um, but I think just, just like in the eyes, like, I think this maybe is some of like, this, it's a weird term, I guess, but like eye acting, like I, I've yeah, never seen such so, good, yeah. like, you know, I like acting with their eyes and it's like, I mm-hmm. could see that, like I could see through them and see that these characters have a deep longing for one one another that the you are able to buy this like sudden change on a dime thing because then in the next few sequences it's like they're getting a shave and a haircut and you know going and getting a picture taken which is a really like really really amusing funny scene and mm. and and thing things like that so um yeah yeah, yeah that that kind of represents the turning point and it's almost like um you know, back back when when this film was made, uh, especially in German cinema and Russian cinema, the uh, the famous Kuleshov effect, which is basically, it's an you know you know about it. It's it's an yeah. editing technique back then that said like whatever you cut to from like a very flat and bland facial expression is going to dictate the emotion of the scene, um, and almost it's almost as if it's Murnau's way of like flipping the middle finger to the Kuleshov effect and saying that like, you know, it's the, there are, there aren't a lot of, um, shots of like, he doesn't cut to what the characters are looking at that often. And it's all, it's always into inside the delicacy of the facial performances where you extract the, the deep emotion of the scene. And he actually like pulls off such an amazing turning point because when you think about it, it's like this man just tried to murder his wife right <laughs> and within the first day within within a within just a, basically a couple minutes for that to turn from like deep and abject horror from the wife's perspective to like this like rekindling of their love together to have that happen within one sequence and have it feel real like have it have it make you know have it ring true in the confines of the melodrama genre, it's 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 incredibly hard to pull off, and he does it. Uh, and I think that's that's partly what you were saying about like the acting and the 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 delicacy of the acting in this film by George O'Brien and Janet Gaynor, especially, um, is uh, is incredible. Absolutely, yeah. It, it's you know, like you kind of alluded to, also like it, it, back then, a lot of like I mean, the performances were broad, but. Um, you know, the camera sort of relied on you, you, you relied on the camera and the images 
I mean, this is motion picture after all, so it's like that you rely on that, but like this this movie relies like squarely on the shoulder of the performances and um it's it's impressive to, yeah to say and, the least. um I, I, I love what you said about the tone and i think it's it's a film that captures this kind of tonal shifts really well like the first 30 minutes is basically a, a thriller uh, it is. That's, it's like a self-contained thriller it's almost like that it's like a short film it's like a 30 minute short thriller about this man who's like preparing to murder his wife and it goes awry and then it almost like you you check the the uh, the timing the time of where the film is and it's only been 30 minutes even though it feels like this huge kind of climax that just happened and uh you almost wonder where's the story gonna can possibly go from there at this height and um he does do like that second act of settling you into it and then yeah the third act has this like dramatic twist that's kind of like a really you're like, you know, it's a. Uh, it's kind of like the fugitive, almost. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think of that scene where they're like in the woods with the like the flashlights, and that's kind of like. Yeah, and it's know. incredible to to capture that in a, in a film from the twenties, uh, and it's like he went out to like real locations. Uh, oh yeah. The uh and captured some shots of like there are tracking shots and dolly shots in the middle of like busy streets that you would never see in silent films back then. And people were like. Uh, directors and producers were all about the soundstage back then. You didn't like just venture into the real world. And uh, yeah, there are some really uh, impressive, unique, like special effects shots in this. Uh, you know, like the there's a there's a kind of rear projection shot where they're walking across the the street, but then he had this foresight to have. I think they're like cardboard mock-ups or something of cars mm-hmm. to go in front of the camera in between them to make it feel more realistic. Um, so you see the couple walking and with the rear projection of the street and he actually like pulls like a miniature or something across the couple in front of them. So it, it looks like it just, there's there's all these like really interesting tricks that he uses to kind of sell the realism of these... Uh, of these special effects. And that's for people who are interested in like old fashioned special effects and how shots like these were like handled back then. It's, it's a, even though the story has nothing to do with science fiction or anything like that, it's, it's fascinating film to kind of study on that. end. I don't know if, did you, did you like pick up on, some interesting uh, shots like that across the the film. I had noticed that one that you're pointing out because like most of the time it would just, they would just be walking in front of a matte painting like that, like that's exactly what it would be. But it's like that scene sort of gave like, you know, it gave a sense of like, Oh, they could actually get hit by a car instead of like, it's not just like they're passing by behind them in a, in a projected thing that was pretty awesome the other one i noticed was it's in the third act how they like they they mounted that camera or they had to have anyway put it in a boat um and row it out into the the middle of the the uh, river or or the the lake wherever they were at um yeah which would be a tricky shot today oh it's yeah it's definitely a tricky shot today let alone when you know these cameras were much more massive cameras (laughs) The exactly. lighting that was required for that it's yeah it's crazy he, he was a uh, yeah he was definitely like a really innovative um director and yeah it's uh, for people who are interested in uh you know the oscars history i would definitely say that this is for me this is the first best picture winner and um 
especially if you're interested in like silent film history, this is definitely like kind of it's kind of a no brainer. Absolutely. Should we uh, should we move on to a film from another innovative filmmaker? I'll be yeah. one a little less uh, less hopeful. Yeah, this is uh, gonna be painful. This is gonna be painful. All right, <laughs> well let's let's just let's pull the bandaid off and get into it. So your second yeah. pick is uh, is the Lost Weekend, uh, nineteen forty five Best Picture winner, uh, directed by by the great Billy Wilder. For this is a relentless, terrifying tale of five lost days and nights. Torn from a man's life, bearing his heart and soul. The Lost Weekend, starring Ray Milan in one of the great performances of motion picture history. I, I guess let's just get into it. Why did you choose The Lost Weekend as, a, as an underrated? Oof. So this Lost Weekend, because of how effective it is in capturing not only alcoholism and addiction, but also like the the kind of like the depression field journey of an aspiring artist or aspiring or a writer who feels kind of stagnated in his, in his art and um, kind of looking into the, the bottle or whatever other kind of addiction to, to kind of like get him going. Um, you know, for, for people like, you know, to me, it just feels like this is the ultimate horror film for a writer. And it's a very hard film to watch. This is one of those that, even though I think it's a great film and I think it's a masterpiece in what it tries to accomplish, it's one of those films that I've always kind of refused to watch ever again because of how personally it affected me. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't necessarily have a drinking problem or uh, any kind of like serious addiction issue, but I could immediately relate to um, the disappointment and the depression of what the Ray Milan character is going through. Who's basically, he was this kind of hotshot writer during college years and had a bunch of stuff published, and kind of lost faith in himself and this vicious cycle of loss of faith and alcohol abuse like led to him kind of starting many novels, never, never finishing any work. And he's kind of like this deadbeat who just lives with his uh, brother, uh, doesn't pay rent, doesn't have a job. And the only thing at this point that he ever gives half a shit about is where the next drink is going to come from. And the film is this, the last weekend is this almost punishingly matter-of-fact and methodical exploration of what this character goes through on basically a random weekend where no one else is there to like keep tabs on him. He has his brother, he has his um, girlfriend, and the brother is at the end of his rope. He's like, I've had enough. I'm, I have to like give him up. I can't keep... Uh, taking care of him anymore and the the girlfriend still has this hope but it's like it's it's fading so fast and this guy is just like hanging on by a thread just through his addiction alone and it's a um it's an incredibly stark and realistic depiction of of alcoholism addiction at that time this is 1945 we're talking about this is not you know the year 2000 with requiem for a dream or anything like that and uh, up until that point, it's the film itself is significant because up until that point, like alcoholism or, or, or 
you know, alcohol abuse has always been like shown in, in almost like a comedic way, like the drunk, you know, the drunk guy who's always at the bar. Um, what's that guy? Uh, the like W.C. Fields um, kind of character is all is almost like the life of the party, like the funny guy, and like mm -hmm. he's always depicted that way. And this was the first film that kind of showed the the really ugly um, side of it, and. Um, I think Ray Milan's performance in this is insanely good because oh, God. He, he, he wasn't an alcoholic. He wasn't like he just learned all the kind of like the little facial tics and the the expressions and the behavior of an alcoholic. He gets that like so incredibly well that it's hard to believe that he wasn't like that guy. Uh, it's 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 one of my favorite male performances of, of all time. And uh, he carries this film incredibly well. And this is like, it's a film from the 40s during while the Hays Code was going on and people were still going to movies to um, to kind of escape from their troubles. Uh, it's, it's stunningly, um, like, doesn't pull any punches. It's stunningly in your face about, um, not in a melodramatic, not in a, like, kind of reefer madness type of way about, like, the, the results of, like, the the pain of alcoholism. It's not like a that. finger wagging movie. Yeah, no, yeah. no, it's, it's not at all. And, uh, it's just, it's almost like, uh, a, uh, you know, like one of those like really dry and matter of fact, like indie films about like such painful subjects way before that was even a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's incredibly effective in what it does so much so that it made me like, kind of when I got to the, premise of this episode of like okay let's do best picture winners and i was just like okay like maybe this will give me the motivation to like revisit the last weekend and i have to admit that i had to like push this one as far as like catching up with it again i had to i kind of push this one as far as i could as as far as i catching up with this concern because it's a film that's still kind of really i find to be incredibly haunting uh especially if you are like if you're a writer, successful or not, but it, it just captures like the frustration of um, trying to create good art and how devastating that could be for some people. It captures that in an incredibly personal way, which, you know, of course it makes sense because Billy Wilder himself um, personally related to these issues. Um, so yeah, uh, Brian, did you, had you seen this before and what'd you think overall? I hadn't. And um sort of was forewarned a little by you because i know you you've you've talked um we've talked off mic um a, a, uh before and and i know this was a pick that well like how devastating of an experience right yeah because i know you've been wanting to pick it for a long time but but you like like you just said because of having to go through that experience and i'll i'll admit man like we because we were going to record about like a week and a half ago i think maybe yeah. um when we initially uh, had scheduled some time. I blew through Sunrise and uh, the next movie we're going to talk about pretty quick. But uh, I watched The Lost Weekend today. That I put it off until oh, <laughs> this yeah. today because because um, I because I knew from what you had told me and uh, and did it did it live up to the the putting off the the hype of it? Oh sure, yes. It, uh, I would say very much so. Um, 
this movie, I'm glad you brought up Requiem for a Dream because I was going to bring that up. I was also going to bring up Train Spotting. Um, yes, because yes, I mean, Train Spotting's one of one of like just personally one of my favorite movies, and uh, I I like Requiem for a Dream maybe not as much as as many people do, but yeah, me too. Yeah. But the difference I saw between a movie two those two movies and this, I mean, those movies is difficult as it is to sit through like the heroin addiction in those movies they have a style and they have Mm -hmm. a propulsion to them that is like it doesn't take away necessarily but it kind of masks it a little bit like it softens the blow Mm -hmm. that's that's the word i'm looking for yeah Uh, it softens the blow the style the style softens the blow a little bit because it makes it more entertaining in in many ways sure and the lost exactly and the lost weekend uh is not that like um i think the movie is excellent but it's it's to call it an entertainment would probably be like a misguided thing to yeah, it'd say be really hard to say like i really enjoy the last weekend yeah absolutely because it's it uh ray milland is incredible in this movie and it's it's you know, and I know he went like kind of method into this performance. Like he stopped mm. eating as much, and he spent like a night at Bellevue Hospital to to like, you know, because there's a scene where he ends up in a, a hospital ward, um, mm. and and so he he and did. That was unheard of to like see what goes inside those places. Absolutely. So he in a he, movie he had well, and then he within himself had to go to those places, you know, try to find those as an actor to go to those places to reenact. And it's just, it's one of those movies where you, it's one of those where each time it just, it just kills you scene after scene. You're like, you know, okay, he's hit rock bottom. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, Oh no. Now he's hit rock bottom. No. Okay. Uh, like it's (laughs) It's just the rock bottom keeps going until the bottom falls out. Like it just keeps, it keeps going. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, it does two things. Well, um, you know, knowing, you know, having a family member, not, not addicted to alcohol, but that's not something I'm going to get into necessarily, but like, but that cycle of addiction the just like, Mm -hmm. when is the next thing going to happen? And Mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, and they say that in the movie too, it's like, um, his, his girlfriend says, uh, to the brother, cause the brother says he's, he's, at his last straw he's he's like i gotta let him go i can't keep doing this and he's like but he's sick he's like you know if he had cancer or heart disease like you know you wouldn't let him hanging he he is sick and this because this addiction like all addiction is an illness and so the way the movie like i've never seen a movie portray that in such a i think especially back then when uh addiction like this was squarely a lot of people saw it as like vice uh it wasn't seen as a sickness or any kind of thing that people themselves couldn't control. And it mm. also, it's not a film that comes up to you with any kind of clear answers. And that's what's so kind of devastating about it. It doesn't say that, okay, like the, it, it does bring up the point of view that it's a sickness, but then the brother is kind of like, then what are we going to do? Like keep feeding it until it kills him? Like there, there aren't a lot of um, options there. And um, I just love the, uh, the kind of like this is a film that's very kind of dialogue and character and performance based, but there are a lot of like really interesting visual motifs that Billy Wilder like kind of sneaks in there the way he does so well in many of his films. You know, he's mostly known as 
a director who's like, oh, he's the character guy, he's the actor guy, he's the you know the dialogue guy, but he's an ex- exceptionally well visual film uh, storyteller as well. Oh, and yeah. There's a lot of like, there's this like uh, overall motif of circles in the film. Yeah. I don't know if you've I've... noticed that there are a lot of close-ups to like the the circles that the the glasses leave on the table. I mean, it's one way to like let the audience know that oh he he's already drank through like. 20 like 10 classes because there's all these circles but there's also um it also goes back to like the vicious circle of like it he, he comes up with some kind of inspiration and he says that uh i'm gonna go home and i'm gonna write and i'm gonna write about my experiences and i'm gonna do this and then he just he leaves the bar and then i love that the bartender's kind of approach of like i can't not give this guy booze because that's my job Right. But at the same time, he's incredibly in his face about like, there's even a point where he says like, look, this, this is just going to end with you killing yourself. That's it. There's no other way around this. And like this kind of like sobering moments kind of like gives him that push to do something, but that push doesn't last long. It's just like this circular, constantly the circular existence of, you know, he goes and he's like, I'm going to write. And next time the bartender sees him, in his bar is he's trying to like, he's begging for a free drink and he's trying to sell the, the, his typewriter for booze and his, his, uh, he's trying to like get rid of the one thing that gave him hope in order to like get like his next fix out of it. And there's like these, like this, these brutal, like kind of cycles that the film goes through without much of a, Kind of, there aren't a lot of attempts here to kind of give you a kind of an exit into, you know, hey, you know, he's a drunk, but at least he has fun with this, or he has like, like there are some points where he's charming and he's interesting mm-hmm. and he looks like he's having a good time, but then like when he buys the apples and stacks them on his like two fifths of rye, so it looks like he's carrying a yeah, bag of, but, of but groceries. It's always, yeah, it's it looks fun and it looks funny and entertaining but it's always in the service of like covering up this deep pain yeah so and that that like that cuts into so much about like how people like that operate and how like the you know me not dealing with alcoholism per se but dealing with depression about uh like there's a lot of especially when it's tied to you know artistic like the fulfillment the non-fulfillment of artistic desires uh, that's that's a very like personal thing for me and a lot of people, um, you know, especially in our kind of quote unquote profession, uh, film critics a lot. You know, you can throw a rock in a film critics gathering and hit someone who wanted to be a filmmaker, a director, or a screenwriter, and like didn't really work out, or it's they're still trying but it's not really working out, so they're doing this on the side. Like, there's a lot of that and. Um, there's a lot of that that we deal with, and apart from the alcoholism side of it, I think it he captures that in such with such clarity. Like there's a scene where they're they're ta- they're telling him like, why don't you just you know give up or like get a regular job? Like why don't you just like? And then he gives this like monologue about like how either I'm going to kill my soul quickly or I'm going to do it slowly but the alternative of for him like the alternative of like living 
a normal life where he's not a writer. I mean, it's 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 it is a little bit petulant. Like I'll I'll give it that, but um, but it's from coming from that perspective, from from an artist's perspective, it's it's really hard not to um, immediately identify with that, and that's really weird to do that with a film that's you know seventy years old. It's yeah, it's impressive because um, I can't think of a like I can't think of an earlier attempt at something like this and and i think you you mentioned it too like few movies i i would say there's very few movies that have done this so matter of fact um i feel like it would be hard to not bring up leaving las vegas in some capacity in this conversation um leaving las vegas is another one that has some like some stylistic flourishes some but that was i i think that's the only other movie i can think of uh, it's it's got some for sure, but it's the only other movie I could think of where it is it like it sticks you so much in the face of that character and the perspective mm-hmm. of that character that you're like, you know, I came out of that movie. It's like I think mm-hmm. this movie's great. I never want to watch it again. Like, <laughs> and... yeah, it's kind of like that. Leaving Las Vegas has some melodramatic touches here and there, but compared to Last Weekend, I mean, it's a... Last Weekend is so like relentlessly dry and yes. matter of fact about dealing with such a grim subject is that it's 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 almost like i mean partly i guess billy wilder you know the story goes that he found the book while he was traveling and as soon as he read it he was like this is going to be my next movie and his motivation i guess was um because he worked with raymond chandler on um Double Indemnity, mm-hmm. and he worked with a lot of these like kind of noir writers who moved to Hollywood to make a living as screenwriters and didn't really get there. Uh, there's another like playwright that uh, the Hal Holbrook character from Barton Fink is based on. You know the alcoholic character. Yeah, Barton yeah. Fink. That's um, that's kind of he was he was a really good uh, friend of Billy Wilder's, and it was almost like his attempt at um, like staging an intervention. For his friends, oh, that's and fascinating. almost like kind of show them where their mentality is headed if they keep going through with that route, and it is it is a painful experience in many ways because it just the story itself doesn't really come up with any answers. No, to you and um, and without without spoiling much, I just want to bring up like the what what did you think about the very ending of the film? Uh, do you think that it is like kind of a cop out or a cheat, or do you think there's more there? I think like the there's... very ending. What what happens at the very end? I think um, also without spoiling and without spoiling uh, another movie we discussed recently, um, bleaker. This is bleaker for sure, but I I, I kind of envisioned it like like the ending of Ingrid goes West that we talked about on our yeah, year and underrated kind of like, yeah. like that, where it's like, I think it could, I think it could be read either way. Cause I know some people, and I know Eric had talked about that on our episode. He thought it was kind of a cop out. And I think you and I were both like, no, 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 no. There's like darker implications mm-hmm. to, to the ending of this movie. Um, and I think that's the same. And I think that applies here. I think, I think like it, it could be seen as a potentially upbeat ending for the character 
Mm. But it could also it could also be the beginning of another yeah. cycle. So it's, I mean, that, that that goes back to the circle. Motif, exactly. Uh, that's what I mean. It's like this is it's the first time we see that act in the movie, the act that's being talked about. But that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's going to be followed through. So I would say yeah. that I don't think it is a cop out. Um you know, we because it, yeah, it doesn't I mean, it doesn't give you you know it doesn't give you the answer of where the character ends up necessarily, and that's perfectly fine. So it's it's um yeah, again. and also the um there's this really interesting kind of technical wink that Billy Wilder gives it to you. Um, the very final shot of the film of a uh, the cityscape is the very first shot of the film run in reverse. Oh, that's fantastic i guess i love that's that opening cityscape genius. shot of the movie that's that's cool so, so the, pretty, pretty much the first frame of the film you see is also the last frame of the film so that that motif is certainly like a possibility so that's yeah i don't think this you know i don't think the ending you know again it doesn't give you a clear answer one way or the other it could be it could be the the it could be the good end for the character and it could not so I, yeah. I don't think it's a total cop out. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, and, yeah, I was going to say, I think it was just going to, you know, to listeners, if I would recommend this movie, but like be forewarned, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. It's, it's not, it's not an easy watch. It's kind of like if you, it's kind of like if you watched after hours, but you took yeah. all the things that were like fun about that movie yeah. out <laughs> and you were just left with <laughs> Just left the misery. Yeah, that that would. This is basically. That's a that's a really like astute observation about the last weekend. That's true. It's the it's the after it's after hours with all the fun stripped out of it. Uh, And it's but but it's 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 kind of like a fascinating. I mean, the first of all, it won best picture. A film this grim winning best pictures. Like like recently, you know, you 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 see a lot of Academy members kind of patting themselves on the back for like. Uh, giving the award to like Moonlight or you know like these like really heavy drama films and it's, it's like it's almost like well they did that back then too it just didn't have the, the the big the big spectacle movies got the most attention so when you look at like the the history of Best Picture winners the history of the Oscars those are the big big movies that get the most attention and um, films like Lost Weekend kind of get uh, relegated down to like like people look at it and just like you know if if you look at you know, go into Wikipedia and look at like the best picture Oscar winners. This it's one of those films that a lot of film boss would look at and be like, "What the hell is this?" Like, uh, but it's you know, it's stunning that it, it won best picture, and it's also like, you know, if you're if you're one of those people who one of those film boss is just like, you know, just bringing up um, recent independent films that like tackle very very serious issues like. Um, without pulling any punches and how brave they are about it. Um, I think this would be a really interesting pick to see that, like, there were filmmakers who did stuff like this a um, long time ago. Uh, it's not, this is not new. You just had to have the bravery and the creativity and the genius of someone like Billy Wilder to pull it off. But um, but it happened. Uh, so um, old movies are not just, the whole bunch that this monosyllabic like uh, series of just whatever you imagine of like old black and white Hollywood films to be. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a really like unique um, 
specimen to watch for film history purposes and also you know it's it's yeah it's a grim film but it's one that's made exceptionally well and incredibly acted so i think i think it's a masterpiece as well here here i i don't think i have much to add to to that <laughs> closing statement on this movie because that's um I, I pretty much echo everything you said that's uh and I do think like I guess real quick I would add I'm glad you brought up like um you know like the history of best picture winners I think like in recent years you know yeah it's been exciting that like a movie like Moonlight and um Spotlight and and, and these sort of like more stripped down dramas um ha- have won um but there still seems to be like a best picture stigma because so many movies um you know I I don't know my history as well, but I, I do want to say it was like maybe like the nineties, like the, the birth of like the mini majors, like your mirror maxes and your, your Fox searchlights, mm, yeah. you know, who, who, who would dump more money into like a four year consideration campaign. And then, mm. and, and then it was meant to be more like best picture nominee anyway, let alone win ended up being more like a free marketing tool, you know, for the movie as opposed to, the, I feel like it was it had a little bit more weight at a certain time, mm-hmm. you know, especially because yeah. le- also less movies were made a year at that point. So it's like, you know, it, it, it had a little bit more weight that it, that it was the, the best picture of the year because there were only, you know, 50 movies or something like that that were out. So um, it's so I guess I guess what I'm saying is maybe like, you know, to avoid the stigma and go back and check some of these movies out. Um, yeah. Especially these ones we were discussing. But yeah. yeah. They're, there, they're... there are, there are some genuinely unique and great films. Absolutely. In there. Well, um, so... and the next one is one of them in my opinion. So let's jump into sure, it. Sure. Absolutely. So we're, we, we've kind of gone on a, like a three act structure here. Like the beginning was yeah. a little bit, a little bit sunnier. Um, no pun intended. And the second, <laughs> second one, we, we had our like darkest hour of the soul and, now we're going to end on a, a little bit of a more more bittersweet, uh, but potentially positive note. Um, yeah, mostly sweet. Mostly sweet. So your your uh, your third movie is the 1955 Best Picture winner uh, Marty by Delbert Mann. You guys feel like we're going to have a game of cards? Come on, let's go down to 72nd Street. We'll walk around. We'll wind up with something. I'll never forgive a Gladi up a cut knot for a lascot in New York City. There's a burlesque at Union City. Let's go to Union City. No, you're the guy don't even want to ride a half hour on a subway. Now you want to go all the way down to Union City. I feel like playing cards. I'll just kick it to you. Why did you? Why did? Uh, why is Marty an underrated pick? I would almost say that you know it's 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 common to say that movies by the director, but I would also I would almost say that Marty by Patty Chayefsky because. Oh, that's a good um, point. Yeah, he's kind of like the star here, along with um, amazing performances by Ernest Borgnine and Betsy Blair. Um, because I'm um, Patty Chievsky, of course, known as the writer of um, like Network, The Hospital, and he was um, one of the top three like most influential uh, TV writers during the TV's golden age. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I picked Marty because. Again, like the other two films, this film is also like kind of unique and ahead of its time in the way that it creates this type of genre that didn't really exist back then. I mean, this is a very kind of low-key, character-based movie. The kind of 
indie movies that you would see about like you know the whole story is it's almost like i mean i brought up before sunrise before but this is one that like really fits it in many ways because the entire premise of the movie pretty much is you know Ur- ergnus borgnine is marty he's this like kind of butcher in his 30s uh and in a kind of italian conservative new york neighborhood where not being married in your 30s is like you know like kind of like the biggest sin and so people are keep like keep pestering him and keep uh pushing him to like find a girl and get married uh there's this great like running gag about like everybody keeps saying the same monologue of like you should be ashamed of yourself when are you gonna get bare married um and the cyclical tone of the writing is one of like many charms of this film uh so he goes out with his friends and he and then you kind of follow also alongside the story of this teacher played by betsy blair who everybody looks at as like you know he keeps getting called a dog which was like slang for like an ugly woman back then Mm -hmm. and um his her date like stands her up because he finds another girl and he she's heartbroken and these two people at this party kind of like connect and they just go on this um kind of almost like stream of consciousness night together and the film pretty much almost the entirety of the film just covers that night their conversations what they're going through like how many recent um indie films or art house films have you seen with that premise of, of like oh it's just about like these characters like going through their day not just the before trilogy but like there's a lot of other films like that like it as well it's just about like getting to know these characters as as they get to know each other um and but for 1955 that was really um kind of a novel idea to have have a film that really doesn't have much of a plot really doesn't have much like kind of twists and turns or the conflict is palpable the conflict the conflict is simple you know mm-hmm. you want these two people to like kind of find love hopefully with each other um but that's what makes the conflict so much more like engaging and palpable because you relate to these characters and you 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 kind of fall in love with these characters so easily through the writing and the performances that like throughout the whole time you're just like constantly engaged in when a new kind of um bit of uh wall gets in between their relationship because of their insecurities and all these years of like just being rejected uh it just like kind of starts popping up at the at the, to the surface and uh they start there's almost like this like fragility of uh they don't want it to happen to them again so they're they're just not they have these feelings for each other but they're not really like opening up and going forward with it because they don't want to get heartbroken again and you understand that side of the conflict as well so it's it's like patty chayefsky's way of understanding in human behavior was incredibly unique and this is one of those films that like i think does marty and network in terms of like the complete opposites of uh one side you have network with abject cynicism and borderline nihilism and the other side you have marty which is that's just a character study brimming with uh with hope um for the human condition uh it's almost like the beauty of that 
those two extremes is is why I love a writer like Patty Chayefsky. Um But yeah, I find this film to be every. I've, this is one of those the films. These, this this is the one out of the three films on our list that I can just sit down and watch it anytime. I've seen this. I've seen many many times. It flows incredibly well, um, and I just find it to be like kind of like an endlessly charming and um, beautiful film. Uh, so, um, Ryan, again, had you seen it before? And um, either way, what did you what, what do you think about it? Uh, I had not seen it before, no. Um, uh, kind of shame on me. I really haven't, like, uh, first of all, I, I have to echo what you say, that uh, Ernest Borgnine and Betsy Blair are, are phenomenal in this movie, but I haven't seen much Ernest Borgnine, like, pre dirty dozen like to uh. be honest which which I know like I is something I need to to rectify especially after uh watching this movie um I I found this movie to be uh mostly delightful um and the fact that it the fact that the movie is so both ahead of its time and of its time I think is something it does well because I think there yeah. are things in the movie and to to no fault of the movie its own there are there are idea there are like ideas and concepts that like to somebody might seem dated like mm-hmm. the especially the the you know his in regards to his neighborhood like the conflict of like you know you're in your 30s and you're not married like that's a stigma that like in some circles does still exist but there isn't as much of that in you know 2018 as there was in mm-hmm. 1955 so if somebody was watching this um now they might go oh like like this this seems quaint it's like well okay it's quaint yes and that's part of its allure that's part of the allure of the movie uh and yes the conflict may not be like a relevant one now but um it's so convincing in the movie because the characters are so convinced that it's a conflict for them because it's constantly pushed on them like especially to marty he's just so like been so convinced by everybody by his friends by his his mother that uh you know that's like oh you're you're gonna die alone and he's convinced of that himself so like those feelings uh shine through any sort of datedness and i guess maybe the other thing i would say is like uh, you know, Betsy Blair's character is called called a dog in this movie. She she is not. No, uh, I want to say so weird to me. I, I was like, um, I think you brought this up either either off mic or when we talked about the fault in oh, our stars. The cliche like, of the, the the pretty uh, actress. Yeah, being called it was like a nerd or it was whatever. Spectacular now, where Shailene yeah. Woodley was cast as that character, and you're like, give me a fucking break, like. <laughs> um, and I mean, they, they make her as. I understand that they make her as plain as possible with no, like no makeup and stuff like but that. Come on. And then, and then the kind of like the point of the the progression of the character is also a little bit like gradually she starts putting on makeup and starts like you know just transforming a little bit. There's a little bit of, but yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those situations where it's like, yeah, I mean she's not a knockout or anything, but it's it's yeah, it has that feeling of like, but the fact that her performance is so like she might not fit what the the characters are saying about her in a in a physical sense but her performance her her mannerisms the way she acts is definitely like the she she becomes that character oh she sells it for sure like there's no there's no denying that it's just more like from a standpoint like because i'm just i'm just looking just looking physically and Mm -hmm. i'm just like 
yeah, I don't I like <laughs> everyone's calling this character a dog and I I don't buy that like the personal yeah. taste. But like, she she sells it. And and like even even a moment, even like maybe the movie's most broadest moment or broadest character, which I would say is the the guy she gets put on a blind date with. Yeah, uh, you know, who's just like, you know, I only get to get out like once a week and set me up with this person and like, yeah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. But um, but uh, like even he sells that moment like he, he mm-hmm. um, um, yeah, I th- I think this movie is um, it doesn't come across as like a movie villain, especially back. then. Oh, the no. And, he, and he's not a, like he's that not kind a, of a character. No, he's not a villain. He's just kind of an asshole. There's yeah. a difference because yeah. uh, this movie doesn't you know, it's not that type of movie with heroes and villains like they're just mm-hmm. they're just people and they're people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that line from the room. People are people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, it's, uh, for, for 1955, that's a very refreshing approach to have this kind of like a character based. Um, yeah. <clears throat> drama comedy um, where you know there isn't really that much kind of like finger waving uh, wagging at, at, at any of the characters to say that like this one's an asshole or this one's a great no. guy there are there are frailties in every single character and you can you can relate to them like is his Marty's mother's conflict about oh you're just gonna get married and like leave me you know, that's why she says, like, I don't want you to see that girl again. Be- not because she's a bad girl, but because uh, she kind of wants Marty all to herself because she's afraid that she's just going to die alone herself. Thank uh, you. That's what a point I wanted to, to bring up is, like, this, this movie isn't just – it's not just about two people, like, trying to find a connection with each other, like, in their love life. It's also about somebody trying to, like, overcome the, like – potentially bad advice that he's given by his family and friends <laughs> like that's yeah. another like stream of the movie because like and and uh it's not just the mom but it's it's his friend his best friend says the same thing he's like i don't like that girl well why why don't you like the girl i don't know i just there's something about her i don't like it's because he's gonna be he's so used to you know they're so used hanging to going him. yeah and hanging he's, he's out afraid of, that he's gonna be alone too yeah, yeah. everyone's just a, a, afraid of yeah, everyone's but, but, afraid but these to be scenes, alone. These characters aren't written in ways of like direct exposition of like coming up to Marty and being like, "Hey, man, I don't want you to see that girl because I'm afraid that you're gonna get married and then I'm gonna be alone or anything like that." It's just it's it's written in ways that are completely believable. You you believe that's how these characters would act, and you get the subtext immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so the, the the writing in this is just is is magical in that way. It's 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 very much about like. You know, it would be a great kind of example for me to, um, you know, when I do like screenplay coverage and stuff like that, as far as like how to deliver character based exposition, this is one of those like clear cut examples, the the writing in, in, in Marty. Um, yeah, you just you, you kind of you're always aware of the subtext of the dialogue um, yeah. and uh while the dialogue itself, the text of the dialogue itself, just sparkles at 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 all times. It's not about just. It's not a film just about symbolism or, or or anything like that. But he just he just captures this like amazing um, this amazing balance. No, for sure. That that was the thing that like really impressed me about the movie um it is is that it's it's subtextual but it is just that like it doesn't hit you over the head with anything but it makes you very clearly understand 
where every single one of these characters are coming from. It's, yeah, it's a delightful movie. Um, also, to people listening, um, Kino Lorber put out a Blu-ray of this. Um, mm-hmm. And if you can get your hands on that, um, that is a good way to watch this movie. It is Oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't stunning. even know it was out on Blu-ray. Uh, I have a pretty old DVD of it, and it's, it's pretty scratchy and, yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, the, the, the transfer, not the DVD itself. The... Oh, sure. Um, no, Anybody th- listening wouldn't care about that. Yeah, no, I, I, I went to rent it <laughs> at, uh, at Scarecrow. And yeah, Keena Lorber mm. put a, a Blu-ray out of it, which, like, uh, they do good work from the, nice. the, the Long Goodbye disc I have and Rawhead Rex and everything in between. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I, I, had a, I had a bunch of their stuff before, and it's, they do a good job. Um yeah, and it's it's not a film that like as far as cinematography is concerned because director Delbert Mann also came from like the world of TV and live television and stuff like that, and uh, cinematography the cinematography is not groundbreaking or anything, but it would be great to like just to be able to, like see these performances clearly. Um, that's that's the the writing and the performances the bread, bread and butter of this film. Oh, totally. And, well, and that's the thing is like it, it, like you said, the cinematography is not like knockout but like but it's but it's clear it looks clear it's been cleaned up and dusted off and and it looks really oh, good great. so great yeah yeah so that's, that's that comes with high recommendation yeah and yeah. uh but yeah this is a this is just overall this is a film that i would just to anybody i would i would could easily recommend to people who don't even watch like old movies that much or to, to people who are like uh you know best picture winner whatever you know like have that kind of attitude um anybody really it's just like it really is like this kind of universal crowd pleaser in the best sense of the world word without being playful or cynical about it for sure and honestly i would say um just i guess in my eyes maybe of your three picks this might be like the most underrated of the underrated Mm -hmm. i i would argue Mm -hmm. potentially um Just because, I mean, I know Sunrise has a lot of clout with its, you know, being Mm -hmm. uh, like earlier masterpiece in silent cinema. And then like Lost Weekend is as tough as it is. You know, it's Billy Wilder. So if anyone's been obsessed with with him as a filmmaker, they, they, you know, may have gone through his Yeah, this is the one that doesn't get brought up as much anymore. For sure. And I think it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, it should be, definitely. And I need to watch more of Ernest Bergnine's performances because – yeah, he's... he was before he was like the tough guy and like yeah, like you said, Dirty um, Dozen, Wild Bunch. He, and... he played he played like very kind of delicate human characters like these. Um, so yeah, he's he's a good guy to like go back and see some of his earlier performances. Totally, I'll have to do so. Well, what do you think? We uh, we're we're probably about an hour. Do you want to want to go ahead and wrap this yeah, up? Yeah, all right. Let's let's wrap it up. Well, thank you for listening to the most recent episode of Over Under Movies. You can find us over on theplaylist.net along with our other podcasts, uh, Adjust Your Tracking, Bingeworthy, and The Playlist Podcast. Um, we have to thank Rodrigo Perez, our editor-in-chief, for uh, for taking us in and giving us a home. Um, so you could find this podcast. You can find it on The Playlist, as I mentioned. You could also find it on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter at OverUnderMovies. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OverUnderMovies. Um, you know, drop us a line if you have any ideas or, you know, any thoughts on the podcast. Uh, we'd be happy to hear them. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we uh, sign off, we have to uh, we have to pitch our next episode, um, which is a little bit up in the air, but it's going to be one of two things. Um, 
if all goes well, uh, we're going to we're going to have a guest. Uh, we're going to have uh, Joe Von Oppen of Adjust Your Tracking on if if everything works out, and uh, he will have an overrated and an underrated um, to be determined. We don't know exactly what they will be, um, but if we uh, if that doesn't work out, we will uh, we'll be going into my next round of picks, uh, which are linked i guess by like i guess quirky quirkiness uh i'll, I'll find a better <laughs> way but they they do they do pair up really well um mm. so my overrated pick is uh gonna be uh craig gillespie's lars and the real girl and uh my underrated pick is gonna be harmony kareen's uh 2007 film mr lonely um so um, that will either happen for our next episode or it will happen in a few episodes, but, um, yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Whether, <laughs> whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. Craig, Craig Gillespie is the director of I, Tanya, So there's a, there's a relevance there too. Absolutely. The films. So we can, we could dive into that, uh, movie as well. Uh, it like do a backdoor sort of discussion on that movie. So, uh, I'm going to sign off here. This is, uh, Ryan Oliver. I'm, Contributor here at the playlist, uh, co-host here at Over Under Movies, and host of the Playlist Podcast. And I'm Oktay Kozak. I'm a contributor and critic for Paste Magazine, and of course, uh, co-host of Over Under Movies here at the Playlist. And I also write for DVD Talk and Bayas Parda. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening, and we'll uh, we'll see you on the next one.